Welcome to the third series of the LT Chat Show. My name is Roger Saunders, Associate Professor and University Teacher Fellow, and this podcast is about all things teaching and learning in HE. I hope you enjoyed today's show, and if you'd like to participate, check out my contact details in the episode description. Welcome to the LT Chat Show, and today I'm pleased to say my guests are Edward and Anna Cartwright. Uh, guys, would you like to introduce yourselves? Yep, I'll go first. I'm Edward Cartwright. I'm a professor of economics at De Montfort University and director of the Institute for Applied Economics and, and Social Value. I'm the author of two textbooks, one on behavioural economics and one on uh, microeconomics and behaviour. Um, and so, you know, a keen interest in, in how we can teach uh, microeconomics and, and behavioural economics and game theory. I think I will come with a short introduction. So I'm Anna Cartwright and uh, I'm a principal lecturer in accounting, finance and economics uh, uh, at Oxford Brookes University. Uh, but my heart here yeah, uh, belongs to game theory and to economics. Uh, and I'm also a researcher. I'm also fellow of, uh, of RISC, uh, Research Institute for Social Technical Cybersecurity. So that also have a lot of aspects uh, that involve uh, economics and game theory. Okay, and there's just an enormous temptation for me to start asking you about current economic situation and, and banking <laughs> and base rates and all that kind of stuff. So I, I shall attempt to resist that. Um, and today we're actually going to be talking about what you've phrased as classroom experiments, but I think would also include things like uh, interactive games and activities that are designed um, to sort of illustrate points. Um, and I believe you've done some research uh, in this as well. So as a starting point, clearly um, at the risk of giving away uh, anyone's ages, uh, I'm guessing you've, you've both been teaching for quite a long time. When, when was the first time that this sort of appeared on, on the radar? Was this something you were thinking about? Was this something that uh, you saw at a conference? Was this something that perhaps somebody within your institute came along and went, I think we should be doing this. So we, we both came at this independently, um, but but then kind of merged quite early on. So maybe Anna, you talk about what happened at Exeter first. Yeah, yeah I was, I'll start with myself because it's, uh, it goes uh, uh, with probably sceptical view of <laughs> experiments. So w when it started, uh, when you start to pick up uh, the literature use of experiments, uh, research experiments, teaching experiments, uh, uh, I was uh, at the University of Exeter and uh, at that time the brilliant uh, mathematician mind of uh, Dieter Balkenberg and, uh, and very uh, capable and uh, talented researcher Todd Kaplan, they embarked on this journey of uh, integrating experiments. Uh, uh, first, they integrated it uh, from perspective of uh, research, and uh, they were going in direction also to integrate into teaching. As I said, at, at the start, I was quite uh, skeptical about experiments, whether it gives us an insight because it's all in a lab. And then uh, I engaged with uh, uh, what Dita and Todd uh, was doing, and uh, I did see the value of the experiments, uh, what can, what they can bring. I wouldn't say that on its own it would be uh, necessarily convincing enough for me, but complementarity between experiments, between uh, uh, theoretical research, became, between empirical uh, analysis, it, it started to shape. And uh, that's where it's changed for me in terms of from being skeptical to 
uh, thinking, yeah, maybe maybe that's what I would like to do. And then I man moved to Kent, where uh, I met Edward. Uh, and uh, from from here on, I think Edward can pick up and explain what happened there. Okay, yeah. just, just so, before we move on, um, when you say experiment, and you mentioned a lab, so were these the kind of computer simulations where people are allowed to mess about with variables, or was it something else? It's interacting between uh, uh, human beings, but it's done via the experiment. Some experiments would be between the person in a classroom and the computer. Some of them would be between the uh, human beings, but via the terminals. Okay, because I, I just wanted to clarify that, because to, to me, sort of with my very limited uh, technological or uh, scientific background, an experiment would be like the kind of thing we did in chemistry at school. So, you know, adding compounds together. Um, but I understand that, you know, different people, particularly in, in different disciplines, would think of experiments in different ways. And I just wanted to be clear on exactly what kind of thing we were talking about. Yeah, I mean, I don't know whether it's useful to give an example. Um, yeah. I mean, the one, the one game experiment that we've we've done many times was originally done in the 1940s, so it's got a very long history, um, is what we call market interaction experiments. So the idea there is you, you're trying to teach demand and supply curves and market equilibrium, the, the, the most basic concepts in economics, really. And they, they can be quite dry concepts, okay, the demand curve, the supply curve, you know, and then that determines a price and so on. So going back way to the 1940s, there was this notion of can we have experiments in in the classroom so that people can see that demand and supply curves actually mean something so what you would do in that experiment is you just give some of these some of the students are given the role of buyer and they're told what price they're willing to pay some of the students are given the role of seller and they're told what what price they're willing to sell for and then they just have to interact in the classroom and, and sell things or buy things and then you record prices and then you show, oh, look, supply and demand works. And the, the, the price that you get is very close to what the theory predicted it would. So this is probably the most used classroom experiment in economics. But it has a very close overlap with research experiments. So at that time, we also started doing, well, not us, but economists started doing research experiments. Um, and, and Vernon Smith, in particular, who then got the Nobel Prize, was a pioneer in, in doing those. So, you know, that, that's the kind of thing that we would do with an experiment. So you can think of it as a, as a game, uh, an interactive game uh, involving the people in the class. Yeah, because for, for students, it's uh, quite easy to think of, let's say, auction. And you can see on the Internet, you can find on YouTube how it's uh, walking on a floor some somebody selling somebody buying and uh, then eventually they find a price but if it's a price about uh, supermarket good or other good how it comes about how, how to know what is the, is the right price uh, mm. to sell to buy and I, that's why uh, experiments give possibility to students to to feel in touch mm. what is the demand mm. what is the supply how the price mm. emerge yeah. Yeah. So, sorry, just as a minor digression, would you say that that is more difficult now, given that we've got, at least locally, and I believe internationally, but it's it's not my area, price inflation 
but it's not being driven by demand. So that's, I mean, that's the beauty of, of, of games. Um, and I mean, I'm going to mention T- Ted Bergstrom at this point, who's um, a real pioneer in, in the experimental field. And he's got a, a book that you can read. And so what the reason I'm mentioning him is that he shows how you can manipulate things to illustrate these things. So at the moment, because most people think of inflation as caused by demand side factors. At the moment, it's caused by supply side factors. So you can then, if that's what you want to illustrate in your class, you can do an experiment where you shift the supply side. You know, so let's say you wanted to illustrate the Russia-Ukraine war um, and the effect that's had on the oil markets. You know, you could set up an experiment that has that shock where, you know, one of the main sellers, so Russia in this case, is not able to sell and then see how that then works through into markets. So I think so the nice thing about games is that you can adapt them to whatever it is that you want to teach. Okay. Um, and I know that from our original conversation, uh, when you, you first approached me about uh, doing something for the podcast, and again, please feel free to correct me if I get this wrong, but you'd actually written a paper together, a provocation, suggesting that actually classroom experiments didn't really have that great an impact. Is, is, have I got that correctly? And, and if so, can you tell us a little bit more about the paper um, or the outcomes from the paper? Yes, I think I'll, I'll take a step back first okay. um, to explain where. So, so when we came together, we started doing a first year undergraduate course that was based solely around games. So we, you know, we went, uh, we jumped in at the deep end by having this module that was going to be entirely about playing games. So the idea was the students would play the game in the seminar. They'd then have the data. They'd analyze the data. And that's how they would learn the basic concepts of economics and game theory. Um, Now, kind of jumping in at the deep end like that, I think we learned quite quickly that not everything works when you're doing games. So, yes, you know, people clearly seem to like, like playing the games. I think they learned stuff. So there was a lot of positive things. But you also learn some of the a lot of constraints coming into play whether yeah. it's a uh, duration of experiment uh, whether it's uh, uh, what kind of diversity in audience you get how they will uh, uh, interact how how long it will take them if it's a if it's a terminal or if it's a computer experiment how long it will then press the button <laughs> yeah so you you just realize there's a whole load of nuances that one didn't appreciate existed and so then I think, as I mean, it's good pedagogy then in a certain sense to look, well, OK, what works and what doesn't, right? Because you've got all these variables when you're designing an experiment. What are the ones that work and what are the ones that don't? And and then we, we, we kind of slightly took a step back and looked at the research evidence. And the research evidence was not particularly strong that experiments, games were improving learning outcomes. Which I mean, there's some positive evidence and then some mixed evidence. And so it's again feeding into this notion. It's yeah, it's not enough to just play games with their students and then magically imagine they'll learn. You've really got to think quite carefully how you want to design the game, how you want to use the game, how the teacher is the lecturer is going to be able to use the game and so on. And so I think we became far more aware of these variables. Now our paper, so then that brings us back to our paper in terms of what we, so what we learned over many years of teaching that module was to add some elements to when they were playing the game. So the one was what we called a logbook. 
So you, you mentioned chemistry there uh, earlier and a chemistry student, when they're doing their experiments, are supposed to log everything, right? That, that's part of the, the, what they do. Whereas when we were doing the games in economics, like, oh, we play, kind of play the game and then they go home. So what we introduced was the logbook where they, uh, you know, they have to keep their record of what is happening during the game and outline why they chose what they did and so on and so forth. So we found that that, I think, was a, was a huge uh, bonus. Then the other thing we got to do was to, we, we, we did was to build the assessment around the games. Um, and so they had to write a report um, where they looked back on what had happened. On one of the experiments. Yeah, and, and, and look at the, the data and so on. So then we, we'd done this for many years, so we could kind of churn the data. And basically, you know, we found that doing the logbook and particularly doing the, the report afterwards, that then had a, a really noticeable impact on, on their learning outcomes, you know, as we measured them. And so I think it's an illustration of the importance of designing the game, designing the experiments and designing the games in the right way to kind of get the learning outcomes that one wants. Yeah, and making sure there is a the constant reflection on what did they do during experiments, what their choices, what choices of others, why they think it happening, uh, incorporating some theoretical uh, material that's relevant to the experiment, and uh, then look back at the data that collected during the experiments and uh, experiments in other groups, and trying to reflect and uh, create a bit bigger picture and then write a report. So, mm. so therefore, in our paper, we sort of, yeah, we start with a probably a stereotypical answer of an economist, whether class classroom experiments work, it depends, <laughs> unless uh, we know that uh, there is a process of re reflection on what students are doing, what's their understanding. I mean, I absolutely agree. And uh, I know because we had a conversation before um, I started recording where I explained uh, I'm very much, I mean, you would call it experimentation. I, I would probably call it something else, gamification or playful learning or whatever, uh, but a big proponent of it. But much like yourselves, what I have learned is that the impact and the learning from it only come from the reflection phase. And in fact, one way of being able to demonstrate that is through iteration. In my own experience, in terms of participating in a course where we were asked to do an activity, and then with my students is, I, I can't remember if it's Cobb's or Gibbs reflective cycle, uh, where you do something, you reflect on it, and then you work out what you could have done differently, and then you do it again, hopefully using what you've learned, and the next time you do it, you're able to do it better because you've had the opportunity to do, reflect, and then plan. And, and it, I guess it's the reflection part. And it's interesting, Anna, because you, you mentioned the word reflection several times there. And in some respects, one of the things that seems to have come through, not just in the sort of area of this, uh, but both from a, a teaching point of view and from a student point of view, is this idea of reflecting, which, you know, I'm sure we, we all know when we're really busy, sometimes that's the biggest restriction on us being able to do our jobs better and the students being able to improve is making sure that there is that that time for reflection. There was another question that I wanted to ask you, and that related to this idea of improvement. And you said 
So initially we're skeptical, then experiments seem to work. Then you realize actually the experiments don't seem to be having an impact on outputs. So then you make sure that there's time for the students to reflect and that does seem to have an improvement on outputs. Is there any benefit to taking an experimental approach on the basis of student satisfaction or student enjoyment? So is part of it, I mean, hopefully they help with output, but even if they didn't, if it was more interesting to un learn a concept or understand a concept through some kind of gamification, is that not potentially going to be better as a way of doing something so that you know there are numerous ways of teaching any particular topic uh, but some of them would probably be more appealing and have you seen over the time that you've been teaching have you seen any things or indeed have you had to change things on the basis of uh, differences in your students either in terms of their expectations or their abilities um, over the years that have had an impact on your use of experimentation? I think, I mean, I, I you know, I think we, we obviously agree with the notion that, yeah, if students having fun is no bad thing. And um, that's, you know, the classroom can be an entertaining, fun environment. But I think there's a couple of kind of caveats one needs to keep in mind. So I think experiments uh, or games aren't always fun. And I think that that's what we've, we've, we've learned. So, because you've talked about computer versus in-person um, right at the start. So there was this was this push, oh, we should have the games on computers, because then you can do much more complicated games, which, you need, you know, because in economics, you've got interaction of lots of people. It, it can be easier to do on the computer. But we found that quite challenging because students can become bored um, when they're just sitting at a computer terminal, you know, kind of pressing a button. So it, it may not be. The, you know, an engaging uh, game. So we do need to think how we make the games fun. Yeah, I think it's uh, really fit to what Edward already said. It is necessary to think when and where uh, apply experiments and how you design it. You aim to design it in a simple way because if it will be complicated, then it will be too much for students to embrace within the whatever one hour, uh, a couple of hours uh, of interaction. And also in in designing experiments, in running experiments, uh, we also need to keep in mind that uh, you will deal with a diverse audience. Some students might be very introverted and uh, not necessarily willing to interact immediately. In, in my past years, it happens uh, very rare, but it did happen before. And then it's necessary to think, okay, how, how do you engage? How do you help uh, students to overcome that? And also to see whether there are any aspects of uh, experiment allow you, is it to swap roles, whether it's buyer or seller, or to tweak the design so that it it can work. I mean, a, a quick point on that one. We, you know, we, we learned this lesson quite early, but you know, students can get embarrassed if they feel they've done the wrong thing. So we, you know, we would have an interactive game, you know, again, think about that supply and demand kind of scenario. And you might have a student that does something that doesn't really make sense at all. And then they can kind of feel embarrassed about that. Well, again, that, that's not what we want to happen in the class. So we, I think we've learned now that very early on, you say, look, this is a learning, you know, this is a learning experience. Some of you are not going to understand the instructions and you, you're going to do things that in hindsight, you'd think, oh, you'd do different. But that's actually what learning is. 
So we shouldn't be scared of that happening because that's how the class is going to learn. So I think it's 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 quite important if one does games to, to bring the students on board so that they're comfortable because otherwise it might not be fun uh, for them. And uh, yes, reference to reality where people do mistakes because they need to make decisions very quickly or whatever the reason, maybe they're upset and they made the wrong choice. I think that helps to sort of, oh yeah, okay, yeah, it's not a problem. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree with all of the stuff that you're saying and, and it reminds me one of the reasons why, because uh, over the years, I mean, easily more than 10, 10 years, maybe may, actually maybe nearer 15, 20 years, um, when marketing simulations started to come through. And there are some very, very good marketing simulations now. But my fear with uh, doing something which is, you know, as you said, Edward, sitting there in front of a screen pressing a button is, well, students can do that in their own time. And they have access now to such incredibly advanced technology and sophisticated software that actually anything I might do that was computer-based is going to seem maybe clunky or uh, too simplistic uh, otherwise. So I do like um, the practical things. I've always resisted using any kind of uh, online simulation, however comprehensive uh, that might be. I also take on board your point about students not enjoying something because they might feel bad if they get something wrong. And I, There's a couple of points. The, the first one is, do you allow students the option of not actually participating? And the second one is, and, and this is a reflection on something which I, I have actually mentioned on a previous podcast. I always talk about learning through failing and that my own expertise, limited as it might be in DIY, is as a direct result of doing stuff and getting it horrendously wrong. You have the option or the opportunity to then reflect on the fact that I got it wrong and then do it better next time. And that if you can turn failure into a positive thing, and we'll probably generally call it just learning by doing, but to be honest, learning by failing, as long as, as I said, you get that, that iterative approach. So are there specific things that you do to try and accommodate students who, uh, who e either may not want to participate at all or might be um, the kind of people who are where a, a bad experience would maybe put them off the, the whole module? The, the way our games kind of work, you can naturally not take part. So in the, in the supply demand example, you could just sit there and say, no, I'm not going to sell and I'm not going to buy. So you, you, you self leave yourself out the game. And it's again going to be a reflection on reality. In, in reality, some people are not going to go for a good, uh, even yeah. so they... But I, I think our, our experience, if, if you have a positive, encouraging environment, is pretty much everyone. I don't think we've ever had in years, 20 years of doing this, I don't think we've ever had anyone who said, no, I just really don't want to do this. Um, I think you can kind of bring them in if you have an encouraging environment, but it does need to be a, a kind of positive, encouraging environment. Um, and is this very much seen as a, 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 the, the activities that you're talking about, the experiments, are they generally individual things or do they run as groups or are there some which run as individual and, and some as groups? So we, we, we kind of we've varied that over the time. So they're, they're all interactive. So we've talked about the buyer and the seller. You might have the worker and the employer. So they're all in economic. They're always interactive. Sometimes we've had it where we have groups or pairs of people are a player. So you're so the employer might be a, you know, two people that jointly make a decision. 
and and that can help some i mean obviously some students might not like that some students prefer to work as a pair because then there's less jeopardy i suppose for them you know it's then two of them doing something so i think yeah the option of allowing students to work in pairs uh, is one and good the, way of trying to there are groups interaction even kind of when we explore the standard uh, economics uh, concept like uh, uh, monopolies, uh, cartels. Uh, so there you, you do have possibility to design it when it's a group of students, sellers making a decision collectively. So, yeah, so yeah, so that's a, I mean, with game, it's an experiment we, we took from Berg, Ted Bergstrom's book, but there's a very nice game where you, you get some sellers to the front of the room and they're able to chat and agree a, a pricing strategy. Uh, and that, that can be really fun. Um, is, is, is that forming a cartel? Yeah. yeah, so you basically allow them to form a cartel and you do it under different rules. Uh, but in the, in the last time you play it, the cartel doesn't exist anymore and, and you often get some very interesting uh, outcomes with that. Okay, and, and one of the things I was going to do is, is say, apart from the, um, the buying and selling example that, that you've given us, is, is are there any other experiments that particularly stick out for you as either being, from your perspective, the most fun to use with students and possibly because they're the ones that students engage with most or the ones that they seem to get most out of. I think the, the, the market power monopoly game that we've talked about, I think that that can be very good for them to understand what market power is. Um, In my experience, it's uh, two particular topics students really like to engage. It's a different type of auctions and um, uh, we call it um, a symmetric information. Um, ah, ad adverse, adverse yes. selection. So the adverse yeah. selection. So that's where you allowed to uh, market for used cars, and you sort of selling and buying. And car can be bad, car can be good, and information that available to sellers about the quality of a car is not available to buyers. Meaning that. Uh, some students may end up buying a bad quality item, and uh, some students may end up with. But it, well, welcome to the real world. <laughs> but it's uh, the, 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 not only is that game really fun because you know they they kind of oh overpaid for a bad item and so on. Mm. It, it teaches an economic concept that is very unintuitive because when they when they're first told whether they've got a good or item good or bad item to sell. Most of them want the good item because they think, oh, you know, good items better than a bad item. But then by the end, they realize that actually you want a bad item to sell. Yeah, it could be because, different reasons. Yeah, you know, it's much easier to sell the bad item because you can sell it for anything and make a profit yeah. rather than the good item. And, and that's what we call adverse selection. Uh, so it, it's a fun game and they go away learning something that might take a long while to teach them in a lecture theater. But as yeah. we celebrate the fact that, uh, that, that they strive to get a good items because it shows that uh, they don't want to deal with uh, cheating. <laughs> well, I, I, I mean, again, it depends on your definition. And, and I, I cannot for the life of me remember the name of the board game. But while you were describing that, it reminded me of a, of a board game um, that I had certainly when I was younger. And I, I've seen it recently, where which involved artwork. And the artwork had a value, but people would bid for it. And the idea was that you were hoping that, that people would be bidding much more than the artwork was actually worth. And that uh, prompts something uh, in my mind. So 
for the the experiments, the games, activities, you know, whatever you want to call them that you use, are these things that you've read about? Are these things that you've generated yourself from scratch? Or are these where you've uh, borrowed uh, an idea? So I was talking to um, an accounting uh, person in a, in a previous podcast who said the very first thing that they do um, with their students is they get them to play a version of Monopoly. So they've taken an existing game but adapted it. So are these things which already exist out there that you've taken on board? Are they things that you've developed yourselves or are they adaptation of existing things? It's, it's a mixture of all three, really. There are some great resources out there, particularly in economics, you know, that, that have lots of games and instructions on how to use them. I think they, we've then learned over the years how to adapt them that work better for us. And I think some we've kind of developed from scratch, really. I think the, what one thing we've learned is because we, we both also do research experiments. And a lot of the gamification in economics has come from people doing research experiments. But I think we've learned that a, a good research experiment doesn't always make a good teaching experiment. And I, you know, and I think that's something to be careful of. So whenever we, because you will often have a research experiment that's really quite interesting, but then you have to do quite a bit of work to adapt that for then to be a good thing to use in the in the classroom. Yeah, is there a particular place that um, I would go to if I wanted some ideas for for economics activities? Well, I'll, I'll flag economics network. So. And I mentioned right at the very start, working at Exeter with, with Dieter and Todd, and they set up the, the classroom experiments bit of the Economics Network web page. So that's a very good resource. Uh, there's also Ted, Ted Bergstrom. If you Google him, you'll find his resources. And then also Charlie Holt um, has his own uh, web website where you can run online experiments. I mean, there's, there's so many resources now in economics. This is yeah, since we started 20 years ago, it's grown enormously. OK, hopefully we'll be able to put a link to some of those in the um, in the episode description. So I'm, I'm conscious that we're coming towards the end of our time. But equally, I'm just wondering, is there anything that we haven't covered uh, that you wanted to, to talk about or, or mention? So, what, well, I just finally mentioned one bugbear that I think we both have, which is that we tend to find gamification is done by some lecturers a lot. And by a lot of lecturers, not at all, uh, which goes back to your notion of the students enjoy it, because I think if you're doing it every week, it can get a bit. Oh, it's yet another game. So my my utopian plea would be that we try to use games more evenly over over a curriculum than just some people doing it a lot. And as I say, some people never doing it at all. I mean, I probably kind of more <laughs> phrase it that uh, it's just one of the possible tools available for uh, lecturers and if it's used among other tools uh, so that we can keep excitement of students alive then uh, I think it would be working fine but it does require time to design it does require time to adopt it and to run it. Uh, okay uh, Edward, Anna thank you so much for your time today that was really interesting um, I think you know marketing is related to economics anyway given that Pretty much it all comes down to supply and demand. So I'm going to go and check out some of those resources. But for the moment, thank you so much for your time. Thank you very thank much, Roger. Thank you.